Arise, a warrior, my brothers. Welcome back to the Man of War. Listen, I am stoked on being back here. Full effect. Yes, I am. It's been a couple of months, but I got to tell you, I've been embedded in growing this organization, the Man of War. We are taking off, and it's just, it needs me. Look, the bottom line, it needs me 100%. All right, um, and we have been, uh, we have a new team on board. We have been growing leaps and bounds, and I appreciate, listen, listen to my words. I appreciate you guys so much because even through this time, all right, our podcast is still trending higher, and I don't even know how that's happening, but, you know, we have 137, I believe, episodes, and, you know, we definitely have a nice library, something that you can go back and, you know, we have some great interviews, some great subjects, all that good stuff, but the reality, when everything is said and done here, man, okay, we are going forward. All right, we are moving forward here. Um, I am going to be doing some more solo podcasts, you know, upon your request, but also we have some great interviews in the pipeline here. All right, so listen, first and foremost for you guys, okay, that are going through this difficulty right now of COVID-19, you may have lost your jobs. Look, you may have um, been laid off. You may have, you may be going through difficult time right now all across the board. When I say difficult times, I'm talking about times where they're challenging. You know, they're, they're challenging, they're unknown times. Uncertainty is a predominant force right now. And I understand what you're going through, okay, because I'm going through a little bit of it also. All right. So being on the front lines as a police officer, I see a lot of things out there. Okay. And yeah, it's scary, man, because I'm out there facing the devil every fucking day. I mean, this virus is out there. Um, whatever you believe, whether the media, you think it's hyping it up, which by the way, I do. I, I think that it's hyping it up a little bit too much. Uh, I still respect it because I'm seeing people go down. Uh, and that's the reality of everything that that's in front of us right now. As a nation, listen, as a community, as a nation, we need to step up and rise above this. We need to come together. Stop this fucking bickering. Stop this stupidity. Because that's what it is. In the end, we have to quarantine, right? We have to stay away from being in, involved in large groups, right? We have to stay away from doing stupid shit. Like, people are doing stupid shit now, for sure, Listen, they're having quarantine parties or going out there. I see them like going to work like nothing. You know, they're, they're just, they don't give a fuck and they don't get it. Okay. Again, if you think the media maybe, you know, getting this out of control, throwing it out of proportion, blah, blah, blah. I'm kind of with you on that. Okay. I'm kind of with you because I think that the media is not doing a very good job covering it. And then you go from one media source to another and it's all bullshit in between. Look, get yourself from good sources that you believe in. That's the bottom line. Okay. Now with that said, because I don't want to hamper here, hamper it down and, and start, continue speaking about this virus because everyone's speaking about it. And in reality, all I can tell you is stay the fuck home. But I want to touch base on something else before I go. Okay. Essentials. Who is essential? Stop being a fucking hero. Listen to me. Stop being a fucking hero because the reality is that most people are not essential for this. All right. Outside of police officers, firefighters, paramedics, and a crew in the hospital, you know, nurses and some doctors. Outside of that, everything else is a second tier. Listen to me. Everything else is a second tier. What I mean by that is that gas stations, grocery stores, delivery drivers, uh, um, all that, that is second tier. 
primary, of course, is everybody on the front lines. Everything else is secondary. But I've heard people fucking talk about carpenters, um, you know, religious organizations that are still open. Um, everybody's still trying to make a living and trying to scramble. And I get it, man. I get it with 100% certainty in my soul, in my fucking spirit. Like, I get it. Okay. But you have to do the smart thing. You have to start acting like an individual that can lead himself in the right direction, lead his employees in the right direction, and of course, lead your family in the right direction. And the right direction at this point in time, my brother, okay, is to quarantine yourself. Lock yourself down away, okay, from all the other shit that's going on out there. And I'm not saying don't go out, you know, walk around, exercise, you know, I'm not saying go ride your bike, go spend time with your children. I do that shit all the time. I'm not saying not to do that. Okay, of course, do it. But what I'm saying is that stop going to work. Stay at home. If your business is not essential, do the work from home. Stop going to places where you see 30, 40, 50 people packed in. Like, use your head, man. I don't understand. I mean, the reality is that the virus is real. Okay, so no matter how much you think the media is blowing it out of proportion, and I think they are, like I said earlier, it's still real. Okay, and it can you can get contaminated, and you could be in a shithole for a while. But more importantly, is who you give it to, right? Who could you know who gets it because of you, and you continue to spread it. And everybody around you continues to spread it. And then we're never going to get out of this rut. And more importantly, it's not for the fucking virus. It's the economy. People right now are feeling it. All right. They're down and out. They're depressed. And we need to get this economy back up. We need to start as warrior minded men. We need to do our part to make this shit go away, to fucking, you know, trim the fat on this so we can get back on our horse and start fighting again. All right, enough on that. Listen, the Men of War Crucible, Group 4 going in July. We have a couple of spots available right now. We also have um, another group going. Group 5 is going in October. So if you're a man that's looking to make a change, a change in his life, and you're truly committed, and you want to enter an elite brotherhood, you got to get through this rite of passage. All right, we still have applications open for Group 4. And group five. Now keep this in mind. This is not for weak-minded men. This is for warrior-minded men, men that have the desire, men that have the push, the drive inside of them to get better in all facets of their life. Go to menofwarcrucible.com. That's menofwarcrucible.com. All right, our guest today is one of my favorite authors. He is a New York Times best-selling author. I don't even know how many books he's written, honestly, but every one of them has been a bestseller. He's world-renowned. He wrote the book Gates of Fire, one of my favorite books of all time, no doubt about it. If you have not read that book, I highly recommend it. I encourage you to go grab it right after this podcast, go to Amazon, and go purchase a copy. It's called Gates of Fire. Whip out your pen and paper, take some notes. You're going to need to because this is a great podcast. I hope that you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed interviewing Stephen Pressfield. Stand by. Stephen Pressfield, welcome. 
to the Man of War podcast, my brother. It is an honor to have you on. I've been trying to get you on for so long now, and I'm just thrilled that you're on here. Well, thanks for having me, Rafa. I'm uh, ready and excited to plunge in here. Awesome, man. Awesome. So first of all, where are you from? Uh, I'm from New York. You know, I was actually born in uh, Trinidad in the West Indies, but uh, my family came home to New York when I was three months old, and I grew up there entirely, you know, in the, around New York City, in the suburbs and in the city. I live in California awesome. now. I live in Los Angeles. Okay, so give me, I mean, guide me through your journey here. I mean, to be a best-selling author at the level that you're at today, I mean, you had to have a journey. I mean, there had to be something in your life that you said, you know what, this is what I want to start doing. Kind of guide me a little bit through your life and how you started writing. Um, I'm not sure how much detail you want to hear, Rafa, but I'll, <laughs> I'll give you the slightly longish version. Um, my first job out of college was as uh, an advertising copywriter in New York City. And I had a boss named Ed Hannibal who quit and wrote a novel. And the novel was a hit. So I thought to myself, well, hell, why don't I do that? Sounds pretty easy. So cut to 30 years later, I finally got a novel published. That was The Legend of Bagger Vance. And... Uh, Gates of Fire was the novel right after that. But through that 30 years, I just failed and failed and failed again. And, drove, and uh, I, I, uh, I don't know, I counted the number of jobs that I had over that period. And it was like 40 jobs doing various, you know, I uh, worked in the oil fields in Louisiana. I drove trucks. I picked fruit. I was a teacher. I worked in a mental hospital. Da, 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 da. I did a million things trying to learn, you know, the craft of writing, trying to break through. And um, I was a screenwriter for about 10 years, kind of a C-level screenwriter. And um, it was just a long slog before I finally kind of broke through. It took about 30 years. I was in my 50s when I first had a book published. Wow. All right, so let's go into, let's get right into it. The Gates of Fire, one of my favorite books of all time. And for listeners that have not uh, gotten a chance to read it, highly recommend it. Um, it is, especially if you are listening to this podcast, I mean, you're a warrior-minded individual, no doubt about it, something that you should uh, definitely read. What was your inspiration going into writing this book? Well, um, it was my second book after The Legend of Aggravance. And uh, I really had, you know, when you write one book, they want you to write another book, right? And um, I had always been a kind of a fan of ancient, the writings of the ancient Greeks. You know, Xenophon, mm -hmm. Plato, you name it. You know, Herodotus, Thucydides. Sure. And um, just for fun, you know, I would read these you know, I'm sure you've read them all, Rafa, you know, these ancient tomes that are 700 pages long. Yes. And I would read them just for fun. I just loved them. And I had no idea what the second book I was going to do was going to be. And I was reading Herodotus, the histories, and there's a uh, passage in there where he's describing the Battle of Thermopylae, where the 300 Spartans held off supposedly a million or two million Persians. Right. And there's one section in there where I'm sure you're familiar with this, where the 
the warrior, Spartan warrior Dionychus, is told by somebody who has seen the Persians coming, and the Spartans had not seen them coming at that point, how many there were. And, and the, the guy says to Dionychus, or to the Spartans in general, that the Persian archers were so numerous that when they fired their volleys, the mass of arrows blocked out the sun. To which Dionychus responds, good, then we'll have our battle in the shade. And when yeah, I read I that it. passage, I just had a flash, like I, I, I knew this guy. I felt like I knew people in the military that were like him. And I just thought this could be the hero of a story. And this is kind of a way for me to get into that story through this individual. And, um, you know, I love the sense of humor. I love the whole, I could talk for a long time about how that works. Um, and so at that moment, I just thought, okay, let me see if I can, it's a great story. Let me see if I can, if I can write it. And mm -hmm. one other thing, um, I, I was a Marine and I always felt that uh, the Spartans, the ancient Spartans got a bad rap whenever they were talked about because they were always, anything you would read about the ancient Greek world was always about Athens. And when the Spartans were portrayed, they were always portrayed as these humorless, brutal, militaristic thugs, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just, I, just had, I just had an instinct about to imagine what it must have been like back there. Right. And I thought it can't have been like that at all. It had to be different. Uh, you know what we all know, you're a police officer. When, one of the things you know from any group of kind of warrior-minded men is that it's always very funny. Right? There's a tremendous sense of humor. You're totally. laughing all the time, right? Yes. Just, just the gallows humor of the misery of the whole thing, you know? Of course. So I thought, I want to I portray the Spartans in that, in that light and see mm -hmm. if I can make, give people a sense of what they might have been like as human beings. So that was kind of my impetus for starting and plunging in on that story. Aside from the fact that it's a fab, fantastic story, the, the, you know, the historical stand of the 300. So how much research did you put in to write that book? Uh, that's a great question. Um, as you know, because you've studied the Spartans, there's practically nothing written about them. We Very have, little, like, yes. I think it's something like 46 words that were actually written by a real Spartan. Uh, the only stuff we have is from Athenians and other people who knew the culture and who described it in such a way. But the Spartans were very secretive, yes, as you know, because they felt like they were sort of like, uh, to use a peaceful analogy, they were like the Amish or the Quakers right. in the sense that they felt like they had a kind of a pure society that could very much be contaminated by, you know, negative outside influences. So you couldn't, in the ancient world, you couldn't just go to Sparta. You know, they would stop you at the border and you weren't allowed in. Mm -hmm. um, so getting back to research, uh, I hope this won't disappoint you, but a lot of what I wrote in Gates of Fire I, is just fiction. I just sort of imagined myself into it. I read, obviously, everything there is to read, but there's not that much. And uh, so, like uh, you as a student of the samurai, 
I thought to myself, well, I know the samurai have the code of Bushido, and every warrior culture has a, has a code, right? They have a whole philosophy that underlies sure. the way they view the world. So I sort of, as a writer of fiction, I kind of invented that code for myself, for the Spartans. And hopefully, you know, you know, basing it on research. But um, a lot of it was, was imagining myself back into that world. That's amazing. So you were really digging deep and trying to create almost like a, like a world that you can embed yourself in there and basically, you know, just create an atmosphere and an environment based on what you believed the way that it was based on what you've read and, and then kind of created. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, I think it's uh, not only phenomenal, but very powerful across the board. And yes, I mean, <clears throat> having that code of honor, you know, that code of, of ethics, uh, when most warrior cultures, most of it are, is un, unwritten, but the way that they live, the way that um, these Spartans were across the board, <clears throat> they were individuals that not only were secretive, and uh, they were just very strong-minded individuals across the board. Now, question. When you wrote this book and you're in the meat of this, I mean, at what point do you fit, did you get into the battle into, uh, because the, the way that the book reads from, from the way that I've read it, and I understand that there's just much more than just the, the battle itself. It's about how these warriors came up, how they developed, it's their mindset, the way that they, you know, looked at life and how and why the Spartans were so exclusive as a warrior culture. I mean, at what point did you decide to, you know, make it where, you know, warrior cultures in the heat of battle, in the heat of, you know, death, you know, they're laughing and they're making fun of things. And that's just the way that you're dealing with it. And you wanted to show the world kind of like that angle. Uh, but you saying. also, but you also, when, when I read the book, you went in and it was pretty gritty. It was pretty upfront the way that, you know, you talk about specifically, you know, the, how the mothers, uh, when they, you know, when they had their, their children, um, let's get into that. When the mothers, the Spartan women had children, I mean, basically these children were chosen. I mean, these were battle ready children from basically the time that they were born. They were either a good enough or B not good enough. Well, the, uh, that you've hit on something real there, and that is that, uh, you know, what's different about warrior cultures that exist today, and, and uh, let's say Navy SEALs or anything like that, or, and the Spartans, is the Spartan culture was a total culture in which, you know, mothers, children, women, girls, wives, everybody bought into the culture, and everything, you know, worked together to uh to create this you know this male warrior that had an ethic and a code of honor a quick break in the action here listen the men of war crucible it's all about transforming men into warriors businessmen entrepreneurs ceos leaders if you have the mindset the mental toughness and you are committed to making a change and of course you are ready to enter an elite brotherhood of warriors Go submit your application today at menofwarcrucible.com. That's menofwarcrucible.com. Um, they weren't just by themselves off in some corner. And one of the things that I wanted to do, I knew obviously that the battle itself 
would be, say, the second half of the book or the culmination of the book. But right. I thought it's going to take a real long buildup to get to that battle because the reader has to kind of understand how the boys were raised and what the you know the Spartan boys were raised and what the model was and how the how their uh, you know how their how they related to their mothers and to everything else. Um, so I wanted by the time we got to the battle and actual blood and gore started happening, that the reader could see what the Spartan concept was, what their morality was. Right. You know, when the three hundred were chosen. To, to be to go off to Thermopylae. And it was very clear that this was a suicide mission, that nobody was coming back from this alive. The people who were grief stricken were the ones who weren't chosen. Right. You know, the, the ones who, who were chosen were, you know, their families were, it, this was the culmination of everything that they lived for. Had, sure. Have you ever read by any chance, it's in a book called Plutarch's Moralia, have you read? Sayings of the Spartan Women? No, but I have heard of that. It's definitely that. worth yes. for anything you're teaching, any of your boot camp, anything like mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. It's really worth looking up. There's also it's two things. There's sayings of the Spartans and sayings of, of the Spartan women. And Interesting. Do you okay. want to hear a couple of these sayings? Sure. I mean, one of them, one story was uh, that um, a messenger returns from the battle. And uh, he tells a Spartan mother, your son so-and-so died facing the enemy. And the mother says, he is my son. And then this messenger says, your other son is alive. He right. ran away from the enemy. And the mother says, he is not my son. Yep. And um, I love that. There's another one where supposedly two, I don't know how this could be, but two Spartans were brothers were fleeing. Mm -hmm. from the enemy supposedly and their mother happened to be there mm -hmm. and she lifted her skirts and said where do you think you're running back here from whence you came so <laughs> they were the moms were definitely hardcore in those days amazing, amazing. we've all heard that story of the spartan mother that gives her young son a shield and says come right. back with this or on it but yes. the, the point I wanted to make was just that it was a society-wide culture with mm -hmm. absolute deep, deep roots. Um, here's another thing, Rafa. Have you ever read Plutarch's Life of Lycurgus? Yes. Ah, so then you know. He Excellent. He was kind of the George Washington of Sparta who kind of founded all of these principles yes. that they live by. Yes, and uh, one of the... Uh, Anyway, that's kind of the research that I did. You had to find little bits here and little bits there and read between the lines. Mm -hmm. Which is great. How long did it take you to uh, write that book? About two years. Wow. Which is about what it takes me for every book. Interesting. Hmm. Talk to me about the um, your other book, The Warrior's Ethos. Um, the Warrior Ethos is just a little tiny book. Mm -hmm. um, that um, I actually did uh, as a kind of a promotion piece for another book called The Profession. Mm -hmm. But what, what it is, is, as, as you know, it's, a, um, it's not me expounding on the warrior ethos. I sort of pulled little anecdotes that I had gathered from my research mm -hmm. from the ancient world, mm -hmm. like about the Romans or about Alexander the Great or about the Spartans mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And um, 
just kind of put them all together in kind of a short book. And we wound up actually my partner, Sean and I giving away 18,000 copies of that book. Wow. It was, we designed it to be small enough to fit into a cargo pocket. Mm-hmm. And uh, we sent them all either to Marines or special forces or army rangers or whatever, either here in training in the States or in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, um, Amazing. It actually worked in terms of sales. It finally, little by little, people actually started to buy it. But, uh, but as you know, that's a sort of a an, an encapsulation, that little book of the Macedonians, the Romans, the Spartans, and some modern uh, warrior cultures too, like the Israelis. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to sort of, because the reason I, I wrote it was I felt like our guys overseas, our guys and gals overseas, mm-hmm. We're fighting in an area, it was a real gray area in terms of honor. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, people join the military because they want to serve. They want to, are called to a, you know, a standard of, you know, an ethos, a warrior ethos. Mm -hmm. And then you get in there and you find that it's not so black and white. You know, and a lot of times Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people start to really doubt, why did I join this thing? You know? Sure. And, um, so I wanted this book. This book is like the pure, as you know, the pure warrior ethos, right? Straight out of Sparta or oh, Alexander yes. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it would kind of, maybe it would remind people a little bit and cheer them up a little bit that there actually is such a thing as the warrior ethos and that other cultures have truly lived it. I'll tell you what, uh, one of the other books that I've read um, is, um, to me, it's, it's probably... Um, just as good, The Virtues of War, which I love. Um, <clears throat> the fact that um, Alexander the Great, I mean, that's just some, some, the way you wrote that book was also very powerful. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, okay, The Virtues of War is about Alexander the Great. And um, I'll, I'll give you a little sort of writer's insight here. I kind of, two sentences kind of came to my mind. From where, I have no idea. But when I heard these two sentences, I thought, this is the start of a book. And the mm-hmm. two sentences were, I have always been a soldier. I have known no other life. And these things kind of stuck in my mind for like months. And I thought to myself, it was almost like it was something coming from another dimension of reality. Right. I was asking myself, who who is saying this? Who is this that's saying that? And after, you know, at some certain point, I kind of realized that it, it was Alexander. Mm-hmm. And I thought um, that was very daunting because I thought if I'm going to write this book, I'm going to have to write it in the first person as Alexander. And I said, how am I going to do that? You know, but um, the, the angle of it or the hook of, of the book mm-hmm. going in the first person was where he says, I have always been a soldier. I mean, you could, you could think of Alexander as a lot of things, as a conqueror, as a political figure, as a criminal, mm-hmm. but to think of him just as a soldier, just as somebody that practices the virtues of war, like I know you're trying mm-hmm. to inculcate in, in your boot camps and with your students and stuff, I thought, well, that's pretty cool, you know, that he's just thinking of himself as if he were almost a sergeant or a corporal or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, 
once I decided that that voice, those few sentences were from him, mm-hmm. then I just, you know, I just kind of started and plunged in on it. Love it. Love it. So let's get um, down to the uh, nitty gritty here as, as far as some of the, for lack of a better word, virtues, some of the elements that warrior cultures, you know, like the Spartan culture, like the Romans, um, some of their strategies and techniques and mindset. At what point in um I guess as the years went by and we transformed into a modern society, because I believe wholeheartedly that we've left a lot of that zest, a lot of that energy on the table. I think. um, I agree with you. You know, I think men have really uh, left, we've left it, we've left it there. And it is my uh, calling right now in, in life to be able to bring that back and give it to men. And the way we look at a modern day warrior, it's not necessarily a soldier, but a man that's ready for war. And war can be the battle of life. You know, a, a protector, a provider for his family, someone that has the mindset to overcome challenges. And I go back and I start, you know, reading your books and and I read, you know, different books all over the samurai culture, Spartan culture, the Knights Templar. And I see that there's so many elements that are missing today. What's your take on that? I, I agree with you completely. It's, uh, I mean, our culture is, if you think about uh, um, just strictly the military and law enforcement, that those are warrior cultures, but they're embedded in this greater society whose ideals are exactly the opposite. You know, like to me, one of the primary virtues of a warrior is selflessness. Yes. Right? That the group comes before the individual. And the individual in the extreme is willing to lay down his life for his brothers or, you know. Wholeheartedly. Uh, whereas yes. in our popular culture, what's, what is praised and what gets praised is the individual that's all out for themselves. You know, that... Uh, you know, a billionaires that, you know, rape the landscape and pollute, water, you know, rivers and blah, 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 and just get, mm-hmm. you get, you know, get it while you can. So um, in many ways, the greater American culture is exactly the opposite of, of the warrior culture. Um, another, you know, virtue of war to me is, is the willing embrace of adversity and, and in fact, kind of loving adversity. And yet in our modern society, all we're looking for is comfort and convenience and, you know, to be on the lazy boy recliner with a That's bag right. of potato chips in our lap watching the Super Bowl. Um, and yet it's kind of odd, you know, here, like I say, I live in Los Angeles and Kobe Bryant dying, you know, in that crash just a few days ago. It's very much on everybody's mind out here. Of course. And he was a real warrior uh, in the sense of, you know, within the world of sport. And, right. and, and yet, so to sort of, even within this culture that prizes individualism and, you know, uh, chasing after money and pleasure and all that sort of stuff, there's a huge element that really loves that warrior culture. It really responds to somebody like Kobe. And here the Super Bowl is coming up in a couple of days. You know, we'll see story after story of 
players that fought through adversity that, you know, that embody all the warrior virtues that including the selflessness and the idea of a team and the team comes first. And uh, so there definitely are two strains in American society that are sort of have, have never really come together. And like you say, if you're a, if you're a young man being raised in the society, you get a lot of mixed messages, you know, it's really, uh, so I, I salute you, Rafa, for trying to help people navigate these stormy waters. One of the things that um, we get a lot is men that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s that have lost a purpose, that have lost. And some of these men, I would say most of our um, attendees to like the crucible and they, when they get inducted in the men of war society and most of men uh, are, are su successful. They are CEOs. They are mm -hmm. um, business owners. Um, they have high positions, but they've lost a purpose. They've lost that, that edge. I don't know if you agree with me here, but we're going to go here for a second. Do you think that society in general continues to pummel to the side of everything has to be peaceful everything is love everything is compassion um battle is bad challenges are bad you know and especially when you have some of these entrepreneurs come out and say hey let's hack the fact you know the fact that you have to struggle to succeed right let's stop that let's kind of jump over all the hurdles and 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 all of a sudden we're going to give you something on the table that's going to help you succeed right here and right now without the struggles what, what is your take on that yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that completely. I, one of the words I hate the most is the word hack, which is means to some shortcut, right? Some trick that gets you around whatever it is, you know, to, 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 to some goal. And the bottom line of, of life is there's no such thing as a hack. You know, anything that's worth doing is very freaking difficult and requires a lot of sacrifices, just no two ways about it. Um, so, you know, there's a, as a writer, a lot of the conflict in my life is in my own head. I mean, in other words, I'm fighting my own self. Uh, and I think that's true of any artist, uh, that you have to overcome all of the demons that are inside you of self-destruction and self-sabotage and, laziness and fear and all that kind of thing. So, um, I, but I can certainly, I, I agree with you that there, there that many people who seemingly have achieved success feel lost and that success feels empty. And, and I mean, it's, I'm not sure what the answer is. It's not yeah. like we want to be constantly going to war, but, uh, you know, there, there, there needs to be some outlet. What's your take, Stephen, on discipline, on the lack of discipline that I think that the society at times has? Uh, because from a warrior perspective, discipline is key, right? I mean, you develop, I mean, that's how you develop into a warrior by literally, you know, disciplining yourself, structuring yourself. And that way you can perform at a high level. But again, you know, when we talk about warriorhood and when we talk about the development of that warrior spirit, 
I'm a big believer that it's all about team, right? It's all about serving for a higher purpose, serving for greater good. Um, So what's your take on the lack of discipline in our society now? Well, again, it's just like the society prizes making money and instant pleasure and all that sort of stuff. The, the last thing that people want in terms of the greater society, what, what we're sold through advertising is any kind of discipline. You know, that's, you know, that hurts. But to me, the real key thing here is that it's, it's self-discipline. Um, I think one of the things that guys come out of the service and they come out of a, a culture in which discipline has been imposed on them from the outside, right? From the ranks above them. And when they suddenly find themselves back in the civilian world, it's a really tough challenge to make that self-discipline, you know? How do you get up in the morning at that early hour that you know you wanna get up at? And then what do you do at that, you know? If you wanna train or if you wanna, you know, go to the gym or whatever it is, it's a, it's a real skill that I don't think young people are taught, the, the skill of self-discipline. Um, and, and if, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to learn that, right? You used to maybe work for a company and they told you what time you had to show up and what you had to wear and when you could go to the bathroom. And if you're suddenly you become an entrepreneur and you have to, you know, discipline yourself and and tell yourself all those things. And of course, for me or anybody that's an artist or a writer, you're absolutely alone. And, uh, how are you going to write that book? or create that movie or whatever it is. It's, it's all about self-discipline, self-validation, self-reinforcement. And that's things that, uh, that go, uh, you know, it becomes a warrior battle inside your own head. Interesting. I like that. And let's talk a little bit about courage, bravery, gallantry, Chivalry, you know, chivalry. Do you think that's missing in our society? Well, there aren't very many outlets for it, really, or you know, occasions for it, other than you know, in sports is probably the main one. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, not to get too political here, but I, I certainly, you know, I look at uh, the votes that are being taken in the Senate and in other places these days, and boy, courage is hard to find. You know, and uh, I agree. yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a difficult time that we're going through, no doubt about it. It's one of those times where <clears throat> there is such a gray area out there. Um, and I think parents um, are a big, they're to blame. Um, you know, I'm not going to say they're, uh, they are the reason, but they are to blame. I believe that uh, there's a good chunk of young men out there that, need guidance, uh, that need to see uh, how others struggle and how they overcome adversary, um, adversity and how they come, become stronger, how they become, uh, how success happens. Uh, look, the bottom line, Stephen, and based on your writings, you're a man that goes in there and basically you embed yourself in these stories, in these books, in your writings, which is so important when you want to create a powerful uh, work of art. And I think that 
through these messages that come out of your books and your writings, you develop a, some, you know, you develop wisdom, you know, you develop wisdom and especially when people read it and it touches them and you know that, wow, you know, this is what I wrote really touches someone. So with that said, I'm going to ask you, when you disseminate a message out there, when you're speaking to people around you, when you're speaking to people that have read your books, what is your message that you want to get out there? Like, say, for example, let's go to the gates of fire. What was your message? Like if you were to sit in front of a 10,000 person crowd and they tell you, they would ask you, give me three messages that came out of this book that you feel you want people to know. Well, that's a, that's a great question. And I think uh, I'm like any other writer or artist. I don't start with a message at all. Um, I, 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 like I told you about that story about Dionikas, you know, we'll have our battle in the shade. That pulled me into the story. You know, that seized me. And as I, you know, educated myself about Spartan culture, and I realized that, you know, I really related to it, that I felt I was really onto something. I kept sort of asking myself, what is it about? You know, what is the real, what is the message that's in here? And if you remember in the story, the character of Dionikas throughout the book asks the question, what is the opposite of fear? And he talks about how he, that courage has been created in, you know, in the face of the enemy in a number of ways. One of the ways that the Spartans did it was by shame, right? If you, right. if you know, but Dionikas thought about that and he said, that's not satisfactory to me. You know, that's just imposing another fear, the fear of, of being shamed against the fear of facing the enemy. And he came up with many, many other sort of ways that he himself was able to kind of manufacture courage in the moment. You know, one was that because he was an officer, he sort of had to put the, his fate of his men ahead of him. And so in that way, he could be, he could be courageous and he could be brave, but he still... You know, he tries many, many different explanations for what the real opposite of fear is. And he mm -hmm. never can quite come up with it. And then there's a scene, which I won't go into a long version of it, but the bottom line is he concludes that the opposite of fear is love. Mm -hmm. And that in this case, what he meant was the love of the brothers within the, within the phalanx for one another. And that that was the, it, that when they could tap into the purity of that, then they then they could overcome fear in the most in the highest way. So, to me, if there was a message from Gates of Fire, that was that was it. You know awesome. that, uh, and in fact, there's a, a, a little section in the book on the final morning of the battle when the Spartans who are remaining they they're surrounded. They know they're going to die. Right. And they right. turn to him, Dionikas, and they ask him, you know what. What should we think of? What should be in our minds? Sure. And basically what he tells them is forget all high flown concepts of honor. Forget that you're fighting for your country. Forget mm -hmm. that you're fighting for freedom. Forget your family. Forget your children. Just fight for one thing only. And that's the man that stands at your shoulder and everything is in him and he contains everything. I and to that. me, that sort of, you know, as a writer, that kind of just came out on the page. I had no idea that was coming. And um, when I saw that, I said, that's it. That's it. That's exactly right. 
Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, Rafa, but oh, yeah. I definitely did not start with a message. The message kind of evolved out of mm-hmm. the, the event. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Love that. So let me ask you a question. Are you writing any new books coming up? Uh, I am. I, um, I actually have a, I've just finished a book uh, that's going to come out in about a year. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly like Gates of Fire, but it's called uh, A Man at Arms. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's another examination it's of, a, of, a one, of one person, mm-hmm. of what the kind of the warrior, the warrior archetype is and what mm-hmm. moving beyond the warrior archetype means. So that, that's that uh, actually, I don't know if you can see me. This is, these are the notes from my editor right now. I haven't opened them yet. And, but, um, wow. So that'll be coming out in about a year. A Man at Arms, it's called. Oh, awesome. Awesome. I love that. Where can people follow you, Steve? Um, I, have a, I have a website. It's just my name, stephenpressfield.com. Mm-hmm. And it's mainly about the craft of writing, actually. Mm-hmm. And I do a, uh, every Wednesday I have a column called Writing Wednesdays, and I kind of talk about various aspects of inner discipline and the inner warrior mentality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. But all my books are on Amazon or wherever you can, you know, wherever books are. Sure. So before you go, I mean, a, a young writer that wants to sit down, and I'm in the process, I'm in midway through one of my books, and uh, what advice would you be able to give someone that's starting as a writer turn off this phone here. and um, wants to publish a book? I mean, there's so many ways to publish nowadays, self-publishing, etc. Do you recommend that or do you recommend going with a publisher? What's your, what's your um, advice on that? Well, there's, it's so, it's hard either way. Right. The, the publishing world is definitely in a crisis at the moment just because there are so many millions of books being written, you know? Sure. Um, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't say either one way is better than, than another. Mm-hmm. Um, each is really hard. It's really hard to, to find an agent, to find a publisher. And even then it's not like they, the publisher can push a button and a magic machine brings in readers. Of course. You know, it's very, very hard. Sure. And on the other hand, self-publishing, as you know, you're out there swimming in the sea with part in the telephone. It's actually my agent on the phone with uh, thousands and thousands of other books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so but, we were uh, talking about b- before the uh, podcast, you were mentioning something that you've read a bunch of good books, but also a bunch of bad ones. And I agree. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of books out there that I'm, probably 10 years ago or 15 years ago would have never been published. Exactly right. You know, we don't have gatekeepers anymore, really. Right. Uh, I mean, the editors that would winnow out what was bad from what was good. Yes. And and also the, what I'm noticing is to get on these best-selling lists as far as Amazon goes and how they inflate the, uh, the reviews and they purchase just to get on the lists. I mean, it's all a joke. um, Sadly. Yeah. But that being said, I salute you and I salute anybody that's writing something or putting something together. That's a creative, um, you know, expression of what they believe in and what they love. Sure. I still believe that if something is great, people will find it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I would say to anybody, don't be discouraged. There's a lot to be discouraged about, but that's adversity. Again, 
that's you know the warrior spirit is to go through that adversity and just and be true to the, the vision that you see and the dream that you have do you recommend um any specific method on writing um say sitting down writing do you recommend uh, structuring so many words a day etc well if you'll forgive me for flogging one of my own books <laughs> the there's a book that i have about on, on the subject of writing called the war of art okay have you heard of this no i have not ah i, I highly recommend it. it's not the art of okay. war it's the war of art right and what it's what it's about is is the inner struggle of the writer Interesting. Okay. You know, as you know, when you sit down and face a blank page, oh yeah, that's pretty hard. Mm -hmm. That's a real warrior situation. You got to call on the virtues of war to face that. Yep. So anyway, the war of art is about that war inside our head, and uh, there's a lot of good stuff in it. I I highly recommend it. You can get it at Amazon. Yep. It's got a lot that. of short chapters. It's very easy to read. The I'm war of art. Awesome. Awesome. Stephen, man, you've been a great guest. So many great wisdom nuggets and just, uh, I love your writing style. I love what you stand for. Um, and all I can tell you, man, keep on writing because I'm going to keep on reading. And I know that you have a tremendous following of individuals that love the way that you express yourself through these books and you have a, you're very unique and that's what uh, makes you stand out. No doubt about it. Well, thanks for having me, Rafa, and I salute you for the work you're doing, you know, trying to, I think you're really on the forefront of one of the critical issues, you know, that's facing our society today, and you're really doing it in the real world with real people, so God bless you, keep it up, and, uh, you know, maybe we'll do another one of these podcasts at some point. Absolutely. Thank you, Stephen, for your time. I appreciate it. And, All right, thanks, uh, Rafa. Thanks for having me. Thank you. What a great conversation with Stephen Pressfield, man. I love this guy. He's a phenomenal author. Go grab his books from Amazon. I love the warrior ethos, virtues of war, and of course, gates of fire. Listen, also give us a follow on Instagram at man of war with two R's. And if you can take a couple minutes of your time and leave us a feedback, a review on iTunes would be greatly appreciated. And last but not least, if you're a committed man, a man that wants to make a change now, Enter the Men of War Society, but first you got to go through the rite of passage, Men of War Crucible. That's menofwarcrucible.com. All right, guys, until next time. Your life may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest victory.